0: We are continuing in our series from the Sermon on the Mount and today our focus is Matthew chapter 5 verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. There's a lot of different angles we can take on this verse, but for the purpose of our study today, I want to hone in on those three words pure in heart. It's going to be the focus of our study today. This is a quote from a Bible scholar. The heart is what you are in the secrecy of your thoughts and feelings when nobody but God knows. It's that inner sanctum, that private part of your life, the thought life, and God is not only concerned about pure actions, but he's also concerned concerned about the root, the thoughts of the heart. Now, when we talk about moral purity, there's an elephant in the room that I want to touch on. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but due to our digital age that we're living in today, we are living in an unprecedented time where it's becoming increasingly difficult to maintain a pure thought life. I was stunned by the statistics that have come up in the last few years since the digital revolution that we are experiencing now. And when we talk about this area of our lives, there is a medium through the media that's making it very difficult to maintain a pure life. This quote, porn sites, receive more regular traffic than Netflix, Amazon, Twitter combined each month. We're talking about the deluge of information and the obscene material that is available. And this is from a reputable research group, the Barna Research Group did a study in the US in 2014. The following percentages of men say they have viewed pornography at least once a month. 18 to 30-year-olds, 79%. 31 to 49-year-olds, 67%. 50 to 66-year-olds, 49%. Women are not immune, according to this study. The following percentages of women say they view pornography at least once a month. 18 to 30-year-olds, 76%. 31 to 49-year-olds, 16%. 50 to 60-year-olds, 4%. And this was an interesting statistic in regards to married women. 25% of married women say they watch porn at least once a month compared to 16% of not married women. 55% of married men say they watch porn at least once a month compared to 70% of not married men. We are living in an unprecedented era where the availability to... These types of materials is becoming more and more prevalent. And when I was youth pastor a couple districts ago, I was ministering to an elementary school, a Christian elementary school, and the parents were stunned when news broke that a group of the elementary school students had been habitually surfing the internet and watching pornography. Our children are not immune to this, and we are living in an unprecedented time, and this is from the US Department of Justice, never before in the history of telecommunications media in the United States has so much indecent and obscene material been so easily accessible by so many minors in so many American homes with so few restrictions. And I read another statistic that less than 25% of parents have had a conversation about proper use of the internet. This is from Martin Dobby, we need to get tech savvy and as toe-curling as it seems, we are the first generation that will have to talk to our children about porn. This digital age that we're living in is capturing a whole generation of young people that have literally not known life without the Internet. This is another study it says, research reveals many systemic effects of Internet pornography that are undermining an already vulnerable culture of marriage and family. Even more disturbing is the fact that the first Internet generations have not reached full maturity, so the upper limits of this impact have yet to be realized. And in relationship to parents with children, it says, a warm and communicative parent-child relationship is the most important factor in reducing porn use among children. This is becoming increasingly difficult with the tablet and smartphones, and according to Juniper Research, by 2017, a quarter of a billion people are expected to be accessing mobile and adult contact from their phones or tablets, an increase of more than 30% from 2013. But you say, Pastor David, you know, we're in a Christian church. You're preaching to the choir. You know, we don't deal with these types of issues. And I came across another staggering statistic from the same research group, Barna. And it said, according to a survey conducted by Barna Group in the U.S. in 2014, 64% of self-identified Christian men and 15% of self-identified Christian women view pornography at least once a month. This is... A challenge that is facing this generation as never before. So some person may say, you know, David, this is the thoughts. What's the big deal? And it is a rationalization that can take place in the consciousness of many minds that you know what I'm not going to act on it I'm just thinking it and this is a quotation from Marcus Aurelius it says a man's thoughts die his soul a man's thoughts die his soul and here's the progression of the seeds of thought that are being sown and I'm not only talking about sexual purity in the recesses of the mind. We're talking about any thoughts that come into the mind that are not sanctified. The thoughts produce actions, actions produce habits, habits produce character, and character determines your destiny. And this is a quote from Stephen Covey. He says, Sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a a destiny. The grace of God permeates the entire person so that it not only affects the outside, but the Word of God and the power of God goes all the way into the inner recesses of the mind, and there is grace. Amen? There is grace for where the real battle lies is in our thoughts. That's where God wants to give us the gift of purity. And this battle for purity in the consciousness of our inner sanctum of our minds and hearts is something that is impossible in our own strength. And I go to this quotation from Steps to Christ telling us how helpless we are in this mental battle and this mental addiction that our society has succumbed to today. You cannot control your thoughts, your impulses, your affections. The knowledge of your broken promises and forfeited pleasure pledges weakens your confidence in your own sincerity and causes you to feel that God cannot accept you, but you need not despair. How many times... Have you gone to God and said, Lord, help me with this area? Or you've made resolutions or New Year's resolutions and promises and said, you know what, I'm never going to do this again, but they're like ropes of sand. And she goes on by saying, what you need to understand is the true force of the will. This is the governing power in the nature of man, the power of decision or of choice. Everything depends on the right action of the will. The power of choice God has given to men. It is theirs to exercise. You cannot change your heart. You cannot of yourself give to God its affections, but you can choose to serve him. You can give him your, what does it say up there? You can give him your will. He will then work in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Thus your whole nature will be brought under the control of the Spirit of Christ. Your affections will be centered upon Him. Your thoughts will be in harmony with Him. The foundation of the Christian faith comes down to this fundamental principle and this fundamental decision. I believe that even giving our wills to God is something that is impossible in our own strength. That is a result of grace. Even the ability to choose God or to choose to surrender is a work of grace. So whatever area it is in your life, you can come to God and say, "Lord, help me willing to be made willing." I I I I can't conquer this area of my life, my thoughts. I can't control. Help me. I surrender to you my will. Now, I was at AJA this week and sharing with the young people and our precious young people, you know, just so innocent and precious, and I was sharing with them about the nature of how consent is the most powerful thing in the rules of the great controversy. Consent is a powerful thing, and I shared with them this illustration. You know, when I go door to door... I used to go door-to-door selling books, and I've been all over the country, California, New Hampshire, Florida. I would knock on the door, and there's something I, very, I learned very quickly about etiquette when you go to a door. There is an invisible line that is there. If when they open the door, I just say, oh, thank you very much, and I walk right in, Uh, there would be a problem, especially here in Alaska, I hear. That is called intrusion. I would stand at the door, and I want to tell you, I met some wonderful people. They would take pity on this poor canvasser. Give me juice. Give me soda. Give me money. Give me donations. They would compliment me, say all types of niceties to me, an acknowledgement that I was there. But you know what? I would not cross that line. I wouldn't. And then, until I would hear those wonderful words, "Come on in, come on in," and then I would come in. In the winter, I learned this. This phrase, because it was so cold and I was freezing outside, I would walk up to the door, I was freezing, and as the person would open the door, I would feel a warm rush of air come outside, and I would say, sorry, ma'am, to let all the hot air out. And you know what happened? Nine times out of ten, they said, oh, come on in, and I said, oh, thank you very much, and I would walk right in. Come on in, wonderful words. The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man open the door, the implication is, and invite him in, I will come in. This is the fundamental rules of the great controversy. The Lord is a gentleman. He doesn't believe in intrusion. He stands there and waits, and this act of giving God our will is an act of consent. You have got, allowed God in to the inner sanctum of your life. Now, many people say, you know what? My house is so messy, you can't come in until I get everything cleaned up. The reality is, Jesus wants to come in and you'll never be good enough without him working in your life. It's not about merit, it's about grace. Jesus says, I want to come in unconditionally. This is the most important decision you can make every day, friends. Before you go about your day, I pray that you kneel beside your bed and pray this prayer. Lord, I surrender. Come into my heart today. I consent. You can take every area of your life like this to God. Whatever addiction, whatever struggle it is, you say, Lord, help me because I am incapable on my own. This is the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of grace And before conversion, this is our state. We cannot overcome any part of our life, our addictions, our thought life, our will. It's enslaved to the flesh. It's in bondage. It's held captive. We have one choice that God gives us, which is a work of grace. We can give God our will. He frees our will. Now, this is after conversion. After conversion... The Lord frees our will. He strengthens our will. But notice that our sinful nature, the flesh, it's still there. It's still present. I used to believe that after I gave my will to God, my sinful nature disappeared and I wouldn't have to deal with that anymore. I wish that was the case. But it's still there. But the difference is previously our will was enslaved to the flesh. Afterwards, our will is freed and God gives us the ability to choose every single day to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. It's a daily choice that God is calling us to make. And this is the process of what we call sanctification and walking in the Christian life, and the Christian experience. Now, I want to talk a little bit more about this walk. The first step we need to take, surrender our will to God. After we've surrendered our will, because the reality is the flesh is still there, God wants us to cooperate with him so that we can live a sanctified walk. So here it is. This is from Paul's writings, and he is an apostle at this time. Notice his language here. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. Lest by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Now, when you look at the context of this, he's really talking about his sinful nature. He says, look, I keep under my body. In other words, I keep it in check. And this is something that we need to do throughout our Christian experience. We need to starve the flesh and feed the spirit. We need to starve the lion. If you're going to do battle with a lion, you want to not feed him for a long time, for a very, very long time. Some Christians say, you know, Pastor, I'm struggling in my Christian experience, and I say, hey, what have you done this week? And they tell me, consuming media all week of the things of this world and feeding their spirit very little and the lion, the flesh, becomes so overpowering that they are vanquished in their Christian experience. Paul says, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. There are certain thoughts that feed the flesh, and there are certain thoughts that feed the spirit. In the Christian experience, God gives you power to filter your thoughts. Now, A number of years ago, I went to Africa on a mission trip, and before I went there, I learned that the water was not appropriate or healthy for me to drink, and so I went to REI and got this fancy filter. These are amazing filters nowadays, you know? You can go like this and just drink it out of the stream, passing it through the filter. Now, I am very particular about my water, all right? And particularly because I've learned through research that these are the types of things that you get into your body if you drink unfiltered water from the stream. I mean, look at these things. And we're talking about parasites, bacteria, worms. These are the things. So, so before you allow water into your body, it needs to go through a filter so you don't get this stuff. There is a filter in the Bible for the thoughts, I call it the Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 filter. All right, here it is, Philippians 4, 8. And he's talking to Christians, people that have already surrendered their will to God, but with, by the grace of God, we are to filter our thoughts. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. This is the filter. So you pass it through the filter before anything is allowed to knock around in your head and you start to contemplate and to meditate upon it. Jesus wants us to pass it through the filter first. This is the inner sanctum of the mind. It is to be filtered, or our thoughts should be filtered before it's allowed to go into these inner recesses. I like John Corson's comment on this. It's a little bit long, but I thought appropriate. Every, even a spiritual men and even spirit, a spiritual men and women become discouraged. You can see it in their eyes, and they wonder why. It's because they've been thinking thoughts that are not true and honest, and lovely, and good, and pure. They stared at Letterman, this was a number of years ago before he retired, Uh, before they went to bed, and they wonder why they wake up grumpy. If you are prone to depression, do not watch late-night TV. You'll wake up with a cynicism about life, a tainted, twisted perspective in life. Instead, fill your mind with the goodness of God and the wealth of His Word. But you say, What about thoughts that just pop into our mind? There's some things that just pop in there. You know, what are we to do with those? And at what point does a thought become sin? In the book of James, there's this fascinating statement about the nature of our thoughts, and James uses a metaphor or an analogy, Here is the analogy. Notice the analogy that he's using. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is grown, brings forth death. James uses conception as an analogy to help us to understand when temptation goes from temptation to full-blown sin. And when you look at this analogy a little bit dif- a little bit closer, you can see that when you look at human reproduction, all right, so here it is, you have the egg that comes, all right? And just because the egg is there doesn't mean there's going to be conception. In order for a conception to take place, the sperm has to hit the egg. So that is the temptation. The temptation comes over... All right. There is a, a gap, a, a, a momentary synapse, as you were, a momentary moment before that temptation becomes full-blown sin. It's consent. So when that thought comes into your mind, when that thought comes into your consciousness, the moment that you think, you know what? Let me just think about that a little bit more. Conception has taken place. And it's just a matter of time before that conception grows and there is birth to sin. comes out your fingertips. Some people are like, you know, I, I don't know how I ended up here. Well, the reality is when the temptation came, there was a moment of cons- consent and there was conception. Now, I, I don't want you to misunderstand me. Just because there's been conception, uh, please don't say, you know, I might as well go ahead and do it. All right? We can ask for grace and forgiveness But the point is that God wants to take care of the problem here. When the thought comes, it is at that moment that the victory is to be won. When the thought comes across our consciousness, I believe that we need to respond to that thought the same way that Jesus responded to temptation. You know, so many times we enter this this challenge without being fortified with Scripture. I believe that we should have a text that is ready for that temptation when it comes because believe you me, it will come. Because we have a sinful nature, there's some things that just pop in there. We need to dismiss it and replace it. You know, there's a quotation that says you can't keep birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in it. So when that bird or that temptation wants to come down, you need to dismiss and replace. I have a text that I used, James chapter 1, verse 16. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive a crown of life. I like the King James in that one. So when, when the temptation comes, blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive a crown of life. And when you meet it with Scripture, it prevents that conception from taking place. And the beauty of the Christian experience is this, that with continued application, it becomes a habit. A what? A habit, so that whenever something comes into our consciousness that is not appropriate, that is not Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, we dismiss it and say, the text, the scripture. And this is where the victory is. Paul says, bringing every thought into obedience to Jesus Christ. There's a story of a peddler that came to this small village. And he came to this village with the claim that he could produce gold with a special formula. So he got this huge cauldron of water in front of these villagers. They had all gathered around. And he put some coloring into the water, and he started to stir this very large cauldron of water and said these, quote, magic words and started to say these words. And when the villagers were not looking, he slipped some gold nuggets into the pot. He poured out the water after a considerable amount of stirring, and there at the bottom were these large nuggets of gold. The villagers, their eyes bulged wide. Oh, my, this is amazing. We've never seen anything like this before. They said, we will buy your formula. How much? So they brought out bags of gold and gave it to him, and he, and he explained to them the exact formula for getting this gold out of this cauldron of water, saying these words. And before he left the village with his money, he told them this last piece of advice. He said, look, the only way this is going to work is if you remember to not think of the red-faced monkey. All right? Remember to not think of the red-faced monkey. And so they said, oh, yeah, remember to not think of the red-faced monkey. And so these villagers gathered around, and they're stirring the pot, and they said, remember to not think of the red-faced monkey. Remember, we can't do that. And ever in the back of the recesses of their mind, this image was always there. You know, in our battle against sin, it's not very helpful helpful to not think of sin. We need to be focused on Jesus. Amen? Our Christian experience is not to be about what not to think about, but it is to be focused on what to think about. In my Christian experience, I'm coming to the realization that the morning devotional time should be spent... In contemplation as to the character of God every single day. This is where the ground of a healthy Christian experience is, and this is the Diary of Ages 83, powerful quotation as to sustaining and maintaining the Christian experience. It would be well for us to spend a thoughtful hour each day in contemplation of the life of Christ. Now, the, the time is not important. The important thing is that you start with something. It can be 15 minutes, but start 20 minutes. Think about the life of Jesus. We should take it point by point. Let the imagination grasp each scene, especially the closing ones. As we thus dwell upon his sacrifice for us, our confidence in him will be more constant. Our love will be quickened, and we shall be more deeply imbued with his spirit. If we would be saved at last, we must learn the lesson of penitence and humiliation at the foot of the cross. The book Desire of Ages, the Gospels, and there is something called heavenly imagination. To take it point by point, let the imagination grasp each scene. And as you do this each and every day, and you think about Jesus, and his character, the miracle of transformation, for by beholding, we will become changed. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that there is grace. We thank you that there is hope, that even in the midst of an age of rampant impurity that the power of God is there to give us the victory in our thoughts. Father, I don't know where every person is today, but you do. And Lord, we want to surrender our will to you because before that, anything else is impossible. So I just want to make a simple appeal today. If there's an area of your life that God is calling you to surrender, if there's an area of your life that God is calling you to say, will you give this to me? Perhaps it's an area that you've been struggling with and with every head bowed and eyes closed, the Lord hears your prayer and I want to invite you to raise your hand and if you want to say, Lord, I surrender. I surrender. Amen. God bless you. Lord, you see these hands that have been raised. They have consented to invite you in to take charge of this area of their lives. We know that you will give the victory. Lord, after this step, we pray that each of us would be armed with Scripture so that any inappropriate thought that pops into our head, we will meet with the words, it is written. Help us to have a promise ready for that temptation. Father, we thank you that there is power in the word of God. We thank you for the victory, for we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more.